Life can get out of control. It's a lot to manage. From the second we get home from work, it feels like there are a thousand things pulling us in a thousand directions. It's so easy to accidentally let the night slip away from us and wonder where our time went. In this episode, we're sharing the changes we've made to our afterwork routine that have made us feel less anxious and more fulfilled, and the practical steps you can take to form new habits in your own afterwork routine so you can set your evenings up for success and end the day right. This is Life with Amy and Jordan. Before we dive into this idea of ending the day right, we just want to pause for a minute and say if you haven't listened to episode nine yet, starting the day right, you're going to want to start there. Uh, a lot of what we're talking about in this episode is going to build from the last episode where we're sharing how we start our days, what our morning routine looks like, and the habits and the triggers that we've put into place to make that happen. So go ahead and hit pause on this one. If you haven't heard that one yet, go back to that and then come back to this. If you're already caught up... We'll still be here. <laughs> we we'll be waiting for you. We're always here. Is that <laughs> creepy? Ooh, that's kind of creepy. <laughs> it's a little creepy. Um, so, you know, we're going to now dive into the idea of ending our day right. And we want to go straight to how we end the day because everyone's work days look really different. So we want to focus on what happens after work hours. We realized pretty early on if we didn't have a consistent weekday plan for what was going to happen with our time after the workday was done, we just ended up feeling out of control, stressed. So we started creating habits and routines to really help us thrive. And in the last episode, we talked a lot about our habit triggers. So we want to continue talking through some of the triggers triggers, um, that trigger behaviors that put that helped us um, with our afternoon and evening routine that will hopefully help you start to figure out what are the habit triggers I can put into place to make sure that every hour after work is meaningful and purposeful and makes me feel really fulfilled. And before we move any further, we just want to give a quick note out there to all our fellow self-employed people out there, other people that are working from home just like us. Because if we're being fully honest with you guys, for a long time, we didn't have an end of work day. We didn't have office hours. We just worked all the time, kind of off and on, um, and never really set limits on when our workday was going to end. And looking back on that time, it was so unhealthy. And it was actually a lot less productive than we believed that it was. So if you're someone who's not in a traditional employment role where you have an end time where you leave your office every day, and you're in a position like we were, where you're completely in control of your schedule, we would just really encourage you to start setting boundaries and deadlines on when your workday is going to end. That was transformational for us because for a very long time, we let it go on and on and on. And we've actually found that setting deadlines has made us more efficient, more productive. We get more done. We are more focused. We feel better. We feel more accomplished. There's been so many positive benefits that have come from setting real ending office hours and closing our office door and being done with a work day. Um, and so we realized in order for us to make that happen, we were going to have to set some sort of artificial deadline or else we just keep working, working, working later and later and later into the afternoon or maybe even the evening. And before we had kids, we didn't really have any reason to stop working. Like we didn't have kids coming home from school being like, pay attention to me, right? It was just us and our cats in our condo. So we realized we had to come up with an artificial deadline to make sure that we we 
actually were accountable for stopping our workday. And for us, that artificial deadline was just working out. Like Amy and I, neither one of us are morning people in the sense that we do not like getting up early in the morning and going and working out. I think there's like some biological or genetic component to this because we talked to <laughs> some people. we are not related. No, so we're not. I don't and, know how that would work. And you're much fairer than I am <laughs> um, and much nicer and much sweeter and happier. But anyways, oh. um, I do think there's this genetic piece to it because we know people who love getting up and working out in the morning. And then we know a lot of people like us where getting up early and working out makes them feel sick. (laughs) And if you're one of those people, you know what I'm talking about. And Amy and I found that there was kind of this natural lull that kind of happened for us after lunch, sometime between like two, three, four o'clock, where we just kind of felt a little sleepy and a little groggy and a little tired. It was probably from the meal we ate. Um, You know that feeling like, oh, I just wish I could take a nap. Yeah. It was that feeling. And so we realized, okay, we need something that's going to push us through the one, two, three o'clock hour. So we set an artificial deadline to go work out in the afternoons. And what we started doing was we started paying for a scheduled group fitness class. Amy went to bar I went to kind of a boot camp style class. And what that did was that kind of forced us after lunch to look up at the clock and be like, oh my gosh, I only have a couple hours until I've got to go to my class that I paid for. I need to get my tush in gear. I just said tush. It's because I'm a dad. <laughs> Normally I would have said a different word, but now that I'm a dad, we say things like that tush. You sound like a granny. It's a granny. I know. That's ah. okay. You have a cute tush. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a cute granny. Um, but, but anyways, so we needed to get our butts out the door, right? And set that, see, I did better and set that, set that artificial deadline. And in the past, we would say things to people like, oh man, I would love to work out. I wish we had time to work out. That sounds so nice, but oh, I'm just too busy to work out. Mm-hmm. And we, we've we talked about this book before on the podcast. It's one of our favorite books that really changed our mentality and a lot of things when it comes to how we manage our time. And that book is 168 Hours by Laura Vanderkam. And one of the most convicting, like, punch in the gut things that she says in the book is we really need to rephrase the idea of not having enough time. Because when someone says, I don't have enough time for whatever it is, fill in the blank. So for us, for a long time, we would say, I don't have time to work out. And what she challenges you in the book to do is to change your language and say, it's not that you don't have enough time. It's that it's really not a priority in your life. And so all of a sudden, I don't have time for working out gets changed to working out is not my priority. Oh, that's a harder sentence to say out loud. It's a harder sentence to swallow. And so we were like, you know what? No, working out is a priority. Like we're kind of like dragging our feet, but realize because we don't like it doesn't mean it's not a priority. (laughs) Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not good for us. Right. So we realized, okay, no, we are going to change the narrative here. We're not too busy to work out. We just need to systemize it into our day to make it happen. And that's one of the reasons why we decided to actually spend money uh, instead of like saying like, oh, we'll work out at home together or we'll do, you know, something free, which we always love doing things that save money, right? But in this case, putting money on the line helped light a fire under us to actually get our stuff done and get out the door because we didn't want to lose the money. We didn't want to be wasteful of the money. And so that actually helped us get our priorities in order. Yeah. And just like we talked about in how to pro- the episode, how to protect your calendar. And like we talked about in episode nine, 
nine, which is starting your day right, we have to start with the end in mind, Dr. Stephen Covey says. And we, what we've always decided to do since we were kind of exposed to this information was let's start with our priorities and let's start with our values. And so in just a second, we're going to walk you through our afternoon routine from three o'clock in the afternoon all the way to when we go to bed at night. But the first thing I want to say is that we want to make sure that just like with our calendar and just like with our morning, we're writing down our values and our priorities first and then figuring out how to fit the, how to, putting those values and priorities on our schedule instead of figuring out how can I squeeze my values and priorities in around a bunch of things that don't, that aren't my values and priorities, right? But we developed a system called me, we, us. And when we sat down to look at, okay, one of the most stressful parts of our day, and I think for a lot of people is the afternoon heading into the evening, it just feels like everything collides all at once. And we asked ourselves, okay, what are the most important things that we want to do specifically relationally, but what are the most important things we want to do in the afternoon and evening hours? So we developed me, we, and us. And what that basically means is me is individual time. Me is individual time for Jordan. Me is individual time for Amy. And so we find ways in the afternoon and evening hours to slot in individual time. The other thing is we. And what we mean by we is time for us as a family. So that's Jordan, Amy, Beckett, any future children, that would include them also. It's time for us to be together as a family. That also means individual time for each parent with each child. Now, it's easy for us right now because we just have one, but what we means for us is time for the three of us together, but also we want to have time for Amy to interact individually with Beckett. We want to have time for Jordan to act interact individually with Beckett as well. So we've talked about me. We've talked about we. Now let's talk about us. Us is just time for us together as a married couple. So I just kind of wanted to lay that groundwork and that framework as we talk through these times that we're viewing all of this through the lens of me, we, and us. And so normally what happens is our workday starts around eight o'clock in the morning. Our workday ends around 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And Amy talked about those natural triggers. Um, and the natural trigger for us is that Beckett wakes up from his afternoon nap around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So we kind of agreed in advance. We kind of had a problem at first, right? So everything we're sharing with you is something that came out of a mistake that we made in the past, <laughs> <Yes>. right? <laughs> so the mistake we made in the past was it would be 3 p.m. We would both be ferociously working in our office. Um, ferociously. I feel like it's like, but not. Hmm. But we'd be working in our office. And we would hear Beckett crying or stirring on the monitor. And we knew it was time to get him up from his nap. And we would kind of do one of these routines like, do you want to get him? Should I get him? No, I'm kind of in the middle of something. Oh, shoot. I'm trying to finish something up. And then we would like let him Almost cry. Almost like it was a surprise like that a our surprise. own child was waking up yeah. from a nap that he took every day. Right. And looking back, I'm so glad that those years before we had kids, we finally started to implement the idea of ending our office hours and setting an artificial deadline because now we don't have an artificial deadline. We have a very real deadline, which is our child being like, mama, please get me up from my crib, right? So we realized, okay, we need to like have a system so that we're not feeling flustered or resenting our own child for waking up from his own nap because we feel like we have work to do. So now we just set a mental note of like, okay, when Beckett wakes up from his nap, Amy's workday pauses to go spend intentional time with Beckett. So I get Beckett up from his nap and I spend intentional time 
with him, playing with him. And that's part of that we time where it's just me and Bex and I'm getting to engage with him in his playroom. And while I'm playing with Beckett, playing with Beckett, Jordan basically knows that he's on a bit of a clock for his workday to end. Yeah. The three o'clock hour kind of like is like a trigger for Amy because we talked about habits and triggers in the last episode. It's a trigger for Amy to pause work and go spend time with Beckett. But three o'clock or when Beckett wakes up from his nap is a trigger for me that I need to land the plane. So I have about a 30 minute window from three to three 30 to wrap up anything I need to wrap up in my workday close down my office space for the day and be mentally done and ready to shift into a different mode. And that's something that's been really important and revolutionary for me as somebody who, you know, who works from home is in deep work. Cal Newport talks about this idea of having some kind of a routine or a ritual, a ritual that shuts your workday down and closes your workday down because in the past we would just like leave our laptops all over the house or I would leave things scattered all over the office. And instead, when that 3.30 hour hits, I know that it's time for me to shut my laptop down, to put my laptop in a drawer, to clean up and tidy up my desk area, to get the coffee mugs and the water glasses and all that kind of stuff off my desk so that when I come into work the next day, my office is a welcoming environment that's clean and tidy and is ready for work right away. And if you're someone who's traditionally employed, we spent four years doing that too, right? Where someone else was in charge, cutting the paycheck. We had bosses. We had office hours um, as elementary school teachers. And that was something that we even committed to back then is we would make sure that we weren't bringing our work home with us because we knew that that could get out of control really quickly. And that it's easy. There's always more to do, right? It's easy to constantly fall into like, well, well, I just need to like answer this one email or I just need... And we just start making excuses. And before we know it, our whole day has gone to work. And then we start feeling that burnout that makes us less productive and less effective during our days. So we've tried to commit from the very beginning of our professional life not to let our work leak into our home life after hours. And so if you're someone out there, you're like, well, I'm not self-employed and I feel really busy and there's a lot of demands on my time, I would encourage you it is possible to set clean, healthy boundaries between your work life and your home life so that you don't feel like you're bringing your work home with you. Yeah, absolutely. And so by the time I shut the office down by about 3.30, I know that I've got from 3.30 to 3.45, so about 15 more minutes while Amy is engaging with Beckett, I've got about 15 minutes to, to finish closing the office down to change for the gym. And during that time, I'm normally giving Bex a little snack. So we've just got a little routine where we know we, each of us know exactly what the other one is doing. So we don't have any mismatch of expectations expectations. We talk a lot about expectations in a previous episode. Um, And so for us to know, okay, Amy's got a job, Jordan's got a job, we're getting the house moving and rolling makes that afternoon piece, that transition piece feel smooth instead of chaotic. Yeah. And so around 345, that kind of signals to Amy that her her we time with Beckett is coming to an end. And from 345 to four o'clock, I'm usually kind of loading Beckett up in the car. We're driving to the gym and then we arrive to the gym around 4 p.m. And then Beckett and I are at the gym from about 4 p.m. until about 5.30. And so what I, what something I realized over time is that I'm somebody who had a really difficult time falling asleep at night. Um, I don't know why I just always have been that kind of person. And I found that working out in the afternoon helps affect my, my sleeping at night. And we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit. 
Um, but one of the things that we learned was that I think it was from Michael Hyatt, who is he's kind of become like a he's kind of an expert in a lot of things. He's business, like a leader for leaders. He's basically. a leader for leaders. And he yeah. talks about this idea of how important sleep is. And one of the statistics that he gave that was just mind blowing to me, but made so much sense was this idea that when you work out and when you exercise, your body temperature artificially raises warmer than your body temperature would be at rest, which makes sense because your heart is pumping, blood is flowing. I totally get that. What I didn't realize was that somewhere between four and six hours later, as a result of your body overheating, your body overcorrects and actually lowers your temperature under what your normal body temperature would be. And that cooling effect on your body actually induces sleep. And so that was one of the reasons why working out in the afternoons, in addition to feeling groggy, was really attractive to me. Something else about working out in the afternoons when I'm at the gym, once I drop Beckett off at the gym, which God bless all the women and men who watch the little babies and toddlers at the gym so moms and dads can work out. We love we love you. Forever Um, amen. (laughs) Miss Jessica, Miss Savannah, I'm looking at you guys. Um, But anyways, um, what I typically talked about this in episode one um, with the idea of alignment. But for me, what's really important is that when I'm at the gym, that's me time. So the time that I'm on the treadmill or the Stairmaster or the elliptical, the time that I'm lifting weights, that's my individual time. And there are a number of things that you could do at the gym. And I've done all of them, everything from listening to nothing, to listening to sermons, to listening to the news and all that stuff. But in episode one, alignment, we talk about this idea that Tim Ferriss says that there are different types of food for your mind and food for your soul. There's junk food for the mind. uh, And there's also like good nutritious food for the mind. And one of the things that I found is that when I go to the gym, and I don't do this all the time, sometimes I just zone out and listen to nothing. Sometimes I listen to music. Sometimes I just flip on the news or on sports and kind of just zone out for the day. But more often than not, what I try to do is feed my mind with nutrition by listening to an educational podcast, by watching a sermon, by doing something that makes me a better person, that makes me a better husband, that makes me a better father. And what I found is that when I'm able to focus for that hour or hour and a half that I'm exercising, and I'm able to have the discipline to say no, remember in the last episode, we talked about what kind of person am I? When I'm able to pause myself and say, what kind of person am I? Am I a person who works out and tries to make myself a better father and husband in the meantime? Or am I somebody who works out and doesn't do those things? And I want to, I don't always choose the right thing. I'll be honest with you. Um, it's just like when I go and there's an apple in the fridge and there's also really good leftovers. I don't always choose the apple. Um, but anyways, I try to be somebody who chooses to do something that's going to make me better as a person. Because what I found is that when I come back from my me time, we're kind of refreshed and re-energized by some really great empowering, educational, inspiring information, it sets the rest of my night up uh, with Beckett and with Amy for a lot of success. Absolutely. And I know, you know, just speaking from a wife's perspective, I always really appreciate like how great the dinner conversation is later when Jordan's getting poured into intellectually at the gym. And so you might be wondering like, Amy, why aren't you at the gym? And honestly, I was a little um, hesitant and almost kind of embarrassed to even record this episode because I, the teacher in me always wants to be a really good example. And I feel like I know that working out is good for my body. And I know it's something that we should all be doing. Um, and I, before we had kids, like we mentioned, we had that workout class scheduled. I went to bar class. I loved it. It was something I actually really looked forward to. However, life has changed a lot in the last couple couple years. And I realized the other day I was like doing the math and I was like, oh my gosh, I have either been pregnant 
or nursing or both for about two and a half years already. Um, and that's just so far. And I think that's going to continue for a while because we're in the season of growing our family. And that was something just by the way that we kind of decided as a family, as I kind of came to Amy and said, hey, I really feel like I need exercise. I need to work out. There are so many benefits for me as a, as a person individually for doing this. So let's find a gym where I can take Beckett. I can take any future kids with me because as a mom, you have been literally had a, you had a human attached to you or a human growing inside of you for the last, you know, two plus years. And I think just as a, as a, as a mom and as a wife and as, as a woman and as a business owner, you just need a little bit of time every day where the house is quiet and you're the only one in it. Oh, it just sounds like heaven. I never really understood the phrase self-care. I think before I became a mom, because all you moms out there know, as soon as you become a mom, it's all about putting your babies first, right? And so before that, it's pretty easy to put yourself in a position of taking care of yourself. But once those babies come, it is actually really challenging. And for me, that 30-minute walk that Jordan and I do in the morning together, that is enough physical activity for me in my current season. I'm I'm not saying if you're someone who like loves working out and you're pregnant or you're nursing, like you can obviously do that when you're pregnant or nursing. But for me, I just instead of feeling energized by that, I was finding myself just feeling more exhausted and spent and burnt out. And so I realized like, okay, I think that my mental and emotional well-being is just going to have to take the place of being as physically fit as I maybe once was for this season, not forever. And I don't want to make excuses for myself, but at the same same time, I want to be aware of my limitations and give myself some grace, which is really hard to do when you have some of those like perfectionist qualities that I tend to have. Um, but that time when I have the house to myself is so wonderful for so many reasons. One, it gives me a chance to finish up work. And for a while, you know that we're the people that are like, don't let work leak into your home life. But I realized that would allow me to joyfully stop working when Beckett woke up from his nap, spend one-on-one time with him joyfully and know, okay, I still have the 30 to 45 minutes I need to finish up work, which is maybe typically, let's say it's like posting on social media or something like that, just finishing up work for the day. And once I have that done, then I can figure out like what is going to be something that's going to be nourishing to either my mind, my soul, my body. And I think one of the most impactful books I ever read is a book we've talked about a couple times. I will continue to talk about over and over again, 168 Hours by Laura Vanderkam. One of the most impactful things in that book for me was her commentary about how we currently live in this culture of, she called it, quote, time poverty mentality, where everybody feels like we're, we're, time poor, meaning nobody feels like they have enough time. And that was 100% me. I kind of felt like the victim of time. Like I'm so busy. I never have enough time to do everything that I need to do. And she actually challenges in the book that this idea of the time poverty narrative is actually quite absurd. Um, And she quotes this uh, real simple magazine and says that the magazine asked all of their readers, what would you do if you had an extra 15 minutes a day? And I know what I'd do. Oh boy. <laughs> Wasn't expecting I'd that. work out. I'd work out. Oh, is that I what would you eat would vegetables? Do? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know what else I could have possibly been thinking. (laughs) When you have an extra 15 minutes a day, what would you do if you got an extra? So instead of 24 hours in a day, you get 24 hours, 
15 minutes, that bonus 15 minutes, what would you do? And a slew of readers wrote in talking about all the wonderful things they would do with that 15 minutes. Like if I had an extra 15 minutes, I would sit down and I would read a book or I would lay in my hammock. I would play with my dog. I would learn to play the flute. I would uh, take a bubble bath. And that these things all sounded so uh, illustrious and almost like a dream scenario. And she was basically saying, well, all these readers had 15 minutes to read this magazine article and submit their answers. And so sometimes we don't even realize how we're spending our time because it just slips away from us. And that was a really challenging idea because I've always felt so time poor. And I was like, oh, this is like the wake up call that I needed that if I'm going to have this very small window of free time, then I need to spend it really intentionally. And what do I want that? What do I want that time to look like? And in my first pregnancy, um, toward the end, especially in the third trimester, I discovered the power of an Epsom salt bubble bath when my belly is huge and my body is aching. It was like just this glorious 20 minutes where I would run a hot bath. And I, I was never a bath person. But after reading like, oh, all these things that people would do with their 15 minutes, I was like, you know what? That would make me feel like I took care of myself that day. It sounds really stupid. Like a 15, 20 minute bath, light some candles, play some music, just have have like time soaking in a bubble bath. Doesn't that sound like who the heck has time for that? But I realize I do have time. I just have to make it a priority. I'm never too busy for anything. It's just about what I'm going to make a priority. And I just want to jump in really fast because you said something so quickly um, that is now has become ordinary to you, but at the time was probably extraordinary to you. And you said, what do I want that time to look like? And we talked about in the last episode, if there's something in your schedule or in your day that makes you feel anxious or that you don't like, it is okay to pause and say, I don't like the way I felt yesterday at 530 when blank happened. How can I change that? Like, what do I actually want that time to look like? I want to happen to life. I don't want life to happen to me because it's so easy to drift into bad habits, but it's really hard to drift out of bad habits. And so right around that like 5.30 hour. So I'm at the gym with Beckett from 4 to 5.30. After I've got him to the kids club and I've worked out, I've I've taken a quick shower. I go pick Beckett up around 5.30. And so right around 5.30 is my wee time with Beckett. And so typically when I go get him from, from the, the nursery, from the kids club, we spend about 15 minutes together from about 5.30 to 5.45. Um, just doing stuff around the gym. One of the things that Beckett loves more than anything in the world is basketball, which he affectionately calls babal, babal. And so one of the things that we, that he loves to do is around in the evenings after a lot of the guys get off work right around that 530 time, there are pickup basketball games that are happening at our gym. And so from the time I can remember, I mean, Beckett took his first steps on a basketball court. He says babal all the time. We will go over to the basketball court and watch pickup games from 530 to 545. It's time that we spend together. I get to talk to him. I get to engage with him. He loves watching the guys play. Um, I didn't realize that I had that I had taught him this, but I did. Is that when Beckett is playing his own basketball at his little Fisher Price hoop at home, when he would make it, Amy and I would cheer and be like, "Woo, Bex, you're awesome, buddy. Good job." 
And then when, but when he would miss, um, I jokingly one day just kind of said, boo, like you stink, you bum, get a life. Oh, no, no, no. And I would kind of just was heckling him. And you're probably listening. Like, I can't believe you would heckle an 18 month old. You're a terrible person, but he likes it. And so what we realize is we go watch these basketball games, these babble games at the gym. And all of a sudden we're sitting there one day and this guy makes it and Bex is like, yay. And then the next guy misses and Bex starts going, boo. And that was the time I realized I probably needed to stop heckling my 18 month old when he <laughs> misses. But anyways, that 530 to 545 time is sacred and precious for us because Beckett and I spend that together, just father and son. And sometimes that looks like going in the racquetball courts and just running around. Sometimes we'll just leave right away and swing by the park on the way home and we'll swing and maybe jump on the slide or something like that. But that time has become really precious to us. And one of the things that we always try to make sure to do is I try to make sure that Amy always has an update on where we are and what our status is. And so a lot of times when Bex and I are getting ready to leave the gym, I'll shoot Amy a text message that just says, hey, heads up, we'll be home in about 15 minutes around six o'clock. And that kind of signals to Amy to kind of wrap up whatever self-care stuff she's doing so that when she gets home, she can be ready to greet us. And I just want to jump back to that idea of self-care for a moment, because I think it's an important question to pose to ourselves is like, if I had an extra 15 minutes, what would I do? Because I think for me, what was the default, the thing that like my brain would just go to, if I didn't think about it, I could easily reach for my phone without thinking about it and start scrolling mindlessly on Instagram and lose 10, 15, 20, maybe even 30, 40 minutes on social media, look up and wonder where my day went. And so we talked about in the last episode, the idea of understanding we have to change our habits and put new triggers in place. And so now it's like, okay, this is my really special time. I feel like the clock is ticking from the second they leave. I want to make the most of every minute because things like taking a bubble bath don't just happen. I have to be intentional about it. Um, That's also the time when I'm able to catch up with friends. So it might be a phone call or a FaceTime, which is so life-giving for me to have the like that friendship touch point and a time where there's not a whole lot of time for that right now, but still making that a priority. Another thing that I love to do when Jordan and Bex are gone um, is also listen to the same types of educational podcasts and sermons. Every once in a while, Jordan and I will like text each other a link and listen to the same one. A lot of times we listen to different ones, which is fun because then we have something to talk about. Sometimes self-care just looks like making sure that the, the house feels less chaotic. Like if the kitchen got messy or the living room, like I'll pop in my um, AirPods and do the lawn, like, you know, full laundry or like pick up the kitchen and living room so that when Jordan and Beckett come home, it feels like a nice, clean environment that doesn't feel chaotic. So it's kind of a mix of all kinds of things, but having that time alone to listen to podcasts, to read a book, to do something that feels like it almost extends the time and makes it feel like it's longer, where it's so easy to feel like time is lost on social media. It's really important. So I would really challenge everyone out there, like, are there are there 15 minute slots in my day where I just like mindlessly lose it to social media when I would rather pick up a book and maybe put that book where you are during that time? Maybe you're in the pickup line at school waiting for your kids to get, you know, or at the end of soccer practice and you leave it in the front seat of your car and boom, now you have a new trigger. Like, oh, I would much rather read this book than scroll social media mindlessly and that visual trigger. So what are the parts of your day where you're mindlessly losing it to something where you could actually be doing something that makes you feel filled up. 
So when Jordan and Beckett come home, one of my goals is to make sure that if there was anything I was working on for work or anything I was reading or anything that I was engaged in a podcast I was listening to, whatever it might be, Jordan mentioned he gives me a heads up when he's on his way home. And that allows me to stop whatever I'm doing so that when they walk in the door, I can greet Beckett intentionally. Um, One of my favorite podcasts right now is one by Meg Meeker. And she has a parenting podcast where she... uh, We'll link link to it in the show notes. Um, But she basically talks about the idea that the way that we greet our children, tell them so much about who they are, helps shape their identity. And so when Beckett comes through the door, I want to crouch down at his level, throw my arms open to him with a big smile on my face, say, hi, bunny, I missed you so much, even though we've only been separated for an hour. You should greet me that way. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like it might have a different result. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, man. Amy, 10 episodes in and Amy finally made me blush. Wow. (laughs) That is difficult to do. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm turning red, too. Anyway, um, as far as this idea, this idea of greeting our kids intentionally, Meg Meeker basically says, whether uh, you're only gone for a trip to the grocery store, it's an errand for 30 minutes or an hour, or they're at the gym, something small and insignificant or after a long work day, or maybe even a a trip of some kind, that the way that we greet our kids really helps inform them about who they are as people and whether they have worth and value. And basically, it's like, oh, if mom and dad love me and get excited to see me, that means that I'm I'm good. I feel safe and secure. So that's something that um, I just loved ever since I've heard. And so Jordan and I have both tried to implement that whenever we're greeting Bex after any time of separation. Yeah. And so that kind of brings us to the six o'clock hour, right? So now it's six o'clock and now the 90 minute countdown is on before Beckett goes to sleep. And so we know that we've got a 90 minute window to do the dinner thing, to do the bath thing, to do all the things before he goes to bed. And I want to share a couple of mistakes that we feel like we made as it kind of pertains to dinner time and family meals. Um, as we kind of talk about the six o'clock hour, mistake number one is that when Beckett was younger and, and when he was a littler, um, I made the mistake. I'm the one who does most of the cooking in our family and kind of by default because neither one of us are great at it. Um, but and I'm a lot worse <laughs> at it than Jordan. I once burned a quesadilla so black that it wasn't even recognizable. The whole thing just looked like one big piece of charcoal. Oh, yikes. Um, <laughs> Anyways, so mistake number one was trying to cook for me was trying to cook big dinners from scratch, things where I was chopping vegetables and I was following recipes. And if you're somebody who likes cooking, maybe that is right up your alley and it feels effortless and easy and fun. For me, it felt like a chore and it felt like I would get home from the gym with Beckett, pass him off to Amy, and then I would go into this cooking cave from like six o'clock until like seven. And I was like racing against the clock. There were, there were pots, there were pans. I was stirring, I was sauteing, I was chopping, I was doing all these things. And I mean, to be honest, the result was it didn't even taste that great. But I was doing all this work, creating all these dishes for myself afterward. And in the meantime, I was watching Amy interact with Beckett in our living room, wishing that's where I could have been. And if you're the parent and your family who does the cooking, you understand maybe where I'm coming from on that. And what I was doing is I was I was kind of sacrificing a lot of we time for us as a family, kind of in the name of these kind of like from scratch home cooked meals. So that was mistake number one. Mistake number 
number two was not having a plan for dinner at all. And then we would do takeout. So the routine would kind of go something like, oh my gosh, I would get them from the gym. Hey, it's six. Hey, what do you want to do for dinner? I don't know. What do you want to do for dinner? Should we DoorDash? Should we Uber Eats? Should we drive and get something? And all of a sudden dinner became an emergency where we were driving 10 minutes to go pick something up. We were waiting to get the, to get the takeout. It was costing us extra money to do that. Beckett was in, 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 in his car seat in the back, even though Amy was spending time with him in the back, he was like, man, you guys left me at the gym nursery. I just want to spend time with you. And all of a sudden that was kind of a mess too. And so our solution for not cooking these, these kind of larger home cooked meals and not necessarily doing the, the takeout thing in the car where we're driving around town, our solution was to outsource our meals to Costco. Maybe for you, it's Trader Joe's, but we found that by getting like really good quality pre-made meals from Costco or from Trader Joe's or something like that, it basically allowed us not to have to waste a ton of time cooking that we could be spending with our family. And at the beginning, this was kind of a tough pill to swallow because, you know, as we were growing up, our moms were both amazing stay-at-home moms who really instilled a lot of values in us. And one of us, those, of course, was the value of a dollar and taught us like the rules of the grocery store. And when you go to the grocery store, when you buy something that's pre-made or pre-packaged, it costs more. You, they charge a premium for that. And so we were always trained that that um, is not the best way to save money. And, and our moms are right. It's not the best way to save money. But we realized for our current season of life, as we're raising little human beings and we're trying to run our business well, that we have a limited amount of time. And because we're business owners, we're able to make more money, but we're not able to make more time. So we would rather exchange some of our money for time back with each other and with Beckett. And that that had to be like a pretty big mentality shift for us. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that we, we try to be people who are wisdom seekers and wisdom implementers and every parent we've asked who has, who had little kids, but their little kids are grown and gone now, or they're grown into teenagers now. They all tell us the same thing. Strangers will offer it on the street, even if you don't, right? It's unsolicited advice. They'll see you with your toddler and they'll say, Oh, enjoy it. It doesn't last long. You're going to miss it when it's gone. And that was something that we really tried to take to heart. And so typically what we do is we get some kind, we kind of ask ourselves like, what's the most stressful part about dinner? And it was always like the meat, right? Mm -hmm. It was like the meat, the the marinade, the grilling, the cooking, the whatever. And so what we typically do is get some kind of really good, like pre-made chicken or meat dish from a Costco or a Trader Joe's. And then we can just throw in some broccoli and potatoes. We can throw it in some olive oil, put some salt on it, pop it in the oven for half an hour. And now we have a really good piece of meat with a vegetable and a potato. Um, and then we're ready to go. Our dinners aren't works of art, <laughs> but they're they're healthy, reasonably and nutritious enough. Um, and more importantly, we're getting all that time back. So that's six to 630 hour. Instead of that being an hour where I'm 100% in the kitchen cooking and Amy and Beckett are together playing, we, I can usually get home from the gym, pop dinner in the oven in five or 10 minutes, and then we get most of that time back to spend as a family inside or to pop back, to pop into the backyard, to go into the front yard, to head to the park, like whatever that situation looks like. And so when we say the idea of outsourcing, I think we always apply that to business, you know, like, oh, you need to outsource your bookkeeping or outsource whatever. But for us, that idea of outsourcing, basically allowing Costco to do some of that prep work gives us precious time back that we would much rather be playing with Bex and engaging um, one-on-one. Yeah. And outsourcing your, your, your dinner meals doesn't have to be like, right, like ordering out. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be ordering that more expensive, like pre 
pre-made meal. Outsourcing could look like getting like pre-chopped lettuce. Yeah, that's where you pay. We do a lot. Yeah, we have a lot of salads, and so we get oftentimes like the pre-chopped lettuce, so that we don't have to worry about you know like and washing and chopping and all that stuff. And we'll get like pre-chooked, mm-hmm. pre-chooked, pre-cooked like chicken skewers that we can just pop in the oven, warm them up, and then we can have a nice chicken salad for dinner. And it's healthy and nutritious, doesn't take a lot of time. Um, so that's what we do from that kind of 6 to 6.30 hour. It's a quick meal prep. And that's also we time for all three of us as a, as a family. And then we get to 6.30 and 6.30 for us is an intentional time for us to have more we time. And that is our family dinner time from 6.30 to 7. It's our family dinner time. It's our family meal time. And I think, you know, what's crazy is that Amy and I grew up in homes where a lot of times our families had family meals together. Um, and we've always kind of heard about kind of the importance of family meals. But I think the importance of family meals was never drilled home for us as much as it was when we found an article that was written in the Washington Post by the co-founder of an organization called Family Dinner Project. Her name is Ann Fischel. She's a professor at Harvard Medical School, which got my attention because I was not smart enough to get into Harvard. So <laughs> if, if Ann focuses on family dinners for a career, um, probably Dr. Fischel, and um, she's a, a, at Harvard Medical School, she probably has something to offer. And she wrote this article that we'll link in the show notes in the Washington Post that was just phenomenal. It was mind-blowing. I want to read you an excerpt of what she wrote because this really imparted on us again, the importance of us sitting down for these family meals together. And here's what she says. As a family therapist, I often have the impulse to tell families to go home and have dinner together rather than spending an hour with me. And 20 years of research in North America, Europe, and Australia back up my enthusiasm for family dinners. It turns out that sitting down for a nightly meal is great for the brain, the body, and the spirit. And that nightly dinner doesn't have to be a gourmet meal that took three hours to cook, nor does it need to be made with organic arugula or heirloom parsnips. (laughs) (laughs) For starters, research found that for young children, dinnertime conversation boosts vocabulary even more than being read aloud to. The researchers counted the number of rare words, those not found on a list of 3,000 common words, that the families used during dinner conversation. Young kids learned 1,000 rare words at the dinner table compared to only 143 from parents reading storybooks aloud. Kids who have a large vocabulary read earlier and more easily. Older children also reap intellectual benefits from family dinners. For school-age youngsters, regular mealtime is an even more powerful predictor of high achievement scores than time spent in school doing homework, playing sports, or doing art. Let me read that again. For school-age youngsters, regular mealtime is an even more powerful predictor of high achievement scores than time spent in school, doing homework, playing sports, or doing art. What she's basically arguing is that one of the most important things that any of us can do for our children is family dinner time. She goes on to say, other researchers reported a consistent association between family dinner frequency and teen academic performance. Adolescents who ate family meals five to seven times a week were twice as likely to get A's in school as those who ate dinner with their families fewer than two times per week. In addition, a stack of studies link regular family dinners with 
lowering a host of high-risk teenage behaviors parents fear. Smoking, binge drinking, marijuana use, violence, school problems, eating disorders, and sexual activity. In one study of more than 5,000 Minnesota teens, researchers concluded that regular family dinners were associated with lower rates of depression and suicidal thoughts. In a very recent study, kids who have been victims of cyberbullying bounced back more readily if they had regular family dinners. Family dinners have been found to be a more powerful deterrent against high-risk teen behaviors than church attendance or good grades. She concludes by saying, in most industrialized countries, families don't farm together, play musical instruments, or stitch quilts on the porch anymore. So dinner is the most reliable way for families to connect and find out what's going on with each other. In a survey, American teens were asked when they were most likely to talk with their parents. Dinner was their top answer. Kids who eat dinner with their parents experience less stress and have a better relationship with them. Whoa. I feel like if those aren't reasons to make a family dinner a priority in our life, I just don't know what is. There's so many compelling facts there and convicting facts. And so even in our, our t- temptation to be like, oh, we're too busy tonight for family dinner. When I start thinking about all those things, I'm like, no, 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 this is a, a priority for us. And so we are going to make it happen. And we've really enjoyed having these family dinners together now that Bex is at an age where he can you know, sit at the table on his own and he's starting to learn how to talk. When he was a little and- baby, we just put the docketot on the table and he yeah. slept through dinner. And that was kind of wonderful because that was almost more like a date. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like a date anymore. It's more like a teaching session in a lot of ways. But this has been our chance for us to teach Beck some of our own values. So we're able to sit with him and pray before the meal. And it's my favorite thing now because he anticipates the prayer now that he's about 18 months. And he'll actually clasp his little tiny hands together and smile at us and get excited to say the prayer. And if Jordan's not at the table yet, he will say, Dada. And he will wait until Dada is there to pray. And he's become almost like, we call him like the little prayer Nazi. He's definitely a little prayer Nazi. Kind of like the soup Nazi in Seinfeld. Beckett is just really social. And like, if there's something that he likes, he wants everybody else to do it and like it also. (laughs) Which is a lot like his dad in a lot of ways, too. (laughs) So he will actually start to like call out anyone who's not like clapping their hands together. So the other night we were sitting there and like he clasped his hands and Amy clasped her hands. And then... Amy said to Beckett, Bex, do you want to pray? And he said, yeah. And then she got ready to start praying and I wasn't clasping my hands. And he looked at me and said, da, 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 da. <laughs> and now he's starting to do it in public, which is embarrassing. We're trying to work on that. But we were at, I remember just the other day we were at Nectar getting an acai bowl, which is like my biggest pregnancy craving right now. Those acai bowls are giving me life this pregnancy. So we're at Nectar and uh, we get our bowls and Beckett, of course, clasps his hand and wants to pray before he eats. So we fold our hands together and are about to pray. And then he spots the man working behind the counter and sees that he's not folding his hands and starts and pointing at points him. to him and is <laughs> waiting for that stranger to pray with us. So, you know, we're still trying to teach him about personal choices and <laughs> a few other boundaries, yeah. but it has been making us laugh. But anyway, that, that dinner time for us is a time for us to like teach him values, to have conversation with him. We're already trying to ask him about his day. He doesn't have very many words right now. So we're filling in a lot for him, but looking him in the eye, basically fostering the beginning of that family relationship conversation dynamic. So as he grows, he'll continue to feel comfortable telling us things about his life at the dinner table. And just like we talked about in the last episode with, with breakfast time, some, a, a habit, a bad habit that we had in the past was bringing our cell phones to the table. Mm-hmm. And that distracted us from that good quality family time that 
was actually a priority for us, not, you know, what somebody had just posted on Instagram. And so now we, we have a no phones at the no table. No phones at the table policy. policy. However, we do love to play dinner music. Um, my grandmother, uh, who is still alive and doing amazing, uh, lives in California, lived there her whole life. And she, uh, the, a couple summers ago, we went out to visit her and she was telling us about like the glory days of when she lived in California, just minutes away from like the heart of Hollywood. And she and my grandpa used to go out dancing. And she said, you know, these are the days before paparazzi, before the internet. And she would go out to clubs, dancing clubs, jazz clubs. And she would actually get to see people like Frank Sinatra and Bing Crosby live in person. And she said they'd be dancing right next to us and nobody bothered them. It was just such a cool time to hear about the way things used to be. Could you imagine if you were just at like, I mean, we don't go to clubs. We're not really club people. But can you imagine if you were just out somewhere and like Taylor Swift walked in and everyone just left her alone? And no one took a picture. No one wanted a selfie. No one asked for an autograph. I would be like, hey, everyone's leaving her alone. Let's go get a picture. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So it was just so cool to hear her talk about like what that time in history was like. And so she introduced us to a few artists, like jazz artists from her time that she loved that we had never heard of before. And so we actually created like a grandma, like 1940s playlist. And it's our favorite thing to listen to during dinner. It just sets like a tone. It's like something we wouldn't listen to any other time of the day, but it's like relaxing and kind of reminds us of being in a restaurant. And so two of her favorites were people we'd never heard of before. So our playlist is full of Chet Baker and Anita O'Day. And then of course, like your Sinatra's and your Crosby's and all those kind of people. Um, but it's just like, it creates like a really fun ambiance when we're together for dinner. And our main goal, of course, is just to spend time together there. And for Jordan and I, that's a good time when, because we've each been separated, listening to different podcasts, listening to different sermons, reading different books, that's a time for us to come together and share some of those things. Of course, it's over us also like managing our toddler. So it gets interrupted a lot and it's a little crazy and we only have one so far. I can only imagine how much more crazy and chaotic things will get as our family grows, but it's something that we've really come to look forward and cherish. As dinner is winding down, Jordan is a notoriously fast eater. He eats at like twice the speed that I do and he also has that uh, Danny Tanner clean freak streak in him. So It's kind of compulsive. <laughs> it's a little compulsive, but I love it. It's actually one of my favorite qualities. It might be a little bit of a control thing. You. So Typically, what happens is even though we start and have the middle of the meal all together, toward the end of the meal, I'm still eating, Beckett's still eating, Jordan is done. And so he's already popping up and cleaning the dishes. It's like he just needs to do it right away. And the cute thing for me to watch has been that Beckett has really picked up on this. It's almost like, oh, this is what the man of the house does. The man of the house pops up and starts cleaning the to kitchen. To Beckett's future wife, you are welcome. <laughs> yes, because now, sweet little Bex, when he's done eating, the first thing he does is he walks straight to the dish towel that hangs on our dishwasher that's at a place that he can reach. And he'll start uh, taking the towel and like rubbing on the cabinets, like rubbing the dishwasher. If the dishwasher is open, he'll like take a spoon out, put a spoon back in. And it's just really sweet to see that he's already learning from that modeling, which isn't something that Jordan intended. It's just something that happens. And it made us realize how powerful it is that kids catch so much more than we teach. We always say like so much more is caught than taught. And I just love that Beckett is already catching on to one of um, my favorite qualities about Jordan. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um, So right around seven o'clock, we kind of have a 30 minute countdown to bedtime. So Beckett goes, we you know, start Beckett for bed around 730. So once it gets to seven o'clock, 
one of the mistakes that we made kind of like with our routine and with our schedule, which is why we kind of encourage you that's going to take a little time to kind of fiddle with it and kind of get your routine and your afternoon evening schedule dialed in. But for us, one of the mistakes that we made is because I'm somebody who loves a clean, tidy kitchen and I love a clean, tidy kitchen now. Remember we, in the last mm-hmm. episode, we talked about I'm the all or nothing person and Amy is more of the mild mannered incremental person in our marriage. And so what would happen is toward the end of dinner, I would start doing dishes. And then when Amy and Beckett were done eating, a lot of times I would continue to do dishes while Amy and Beckett went into the living room and played. And I would be in the in the kitchen for 10 or 15 minutes finishing up. And I was missing out on that we time with the three of us as a family. And so even though I start dishes kind of toward the end of the meal, something I've started doing now is once Amy and Beckett are done eating, wherever I am in the dishes process, I stop what I'm doing, which is really hard for me it's because a lot of growth. it's a lot of growth. <laughs> if you're a clean freak, you understand, but it's a lot of growth. And so I stop and then I turn my attention to Amy and to Beckett from 7 to 7.30. And normally that looks like about 15 minutes of playtime, usually basketball, because that's what he's into right now. And then 15 minutes of bath time, to which Beckett pronounces around the house, bath time, bath time, bath time. <laughs> um, but sometimes it's just 30 minutes of playtime, because if we're being honest, we don't bathe him every day. Sometimes we skip multiple days. Occasionally we skip a week. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we just I mean, get carried away playing and having fun. And so anyways, that's what we do. So don't smell Beckett. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's still just has that great baby smell. I'm sure eventually we're going to be horrified that we ever skipped a bath, but yeah. we do skip baths sometimes. Anyway, um, at that point, it's around 7.30 and that's when um, from 7.30 to 8 is when I'll typically take Beckett upstairs and start his bedtime routine and that gives Jordan a chance to finish the dishes that he loves so much to get. It's not that he loves doing dishes, it's that he loves the result of a clean kitchen, I think. I, I don't know. Maybe you do love the process. Too. I kind of do love the process. Um, typically during that time, like we talked about in episode one alignment. Uh, Typically, while I'm doing those dishes, um, there was a time in my life where I just did the dishes. And then I thought to myself, wait a second, while I'm doing the dishes and cleaning the kitchen and tidying the living room, maybe I could listen to something educational or informational. Um, But sometimes I just like junk food. So um, intellectual junk food. So if I've already gone to the gym that day, and I've listened to a sermon or or an educational podcast, sometimes I use that 15 or 20 or 30 minute period of time while I'm cleaning the kitchen to throw on news or sports or something that I'm interested in that's kind of junk food and just listen to that while I'm by myself and while I'm kind of cleaning up. Um, you might be wondering if you're listening right now, you're thinking, wait a second, guys, you said that you take Beckett to go to bed at 730, but that it takes 30 minutes to put him down to bed. Why is that? And part of the reason for that is that, um, like we talked about, I think it was in episode eight, Amy spends a good amount of time, probably at least 15 minutes, if not more, reading with Beckett every night before he goes to sleep. And so that's why that routine start to finish takes about 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's really one of my favorite parts of the day because it's a time for us to snuggle and lay together. And he anticipates the books that we're reading, laughs at the pages. And it's just a really special time for us. So we really like that. that. It's just one more like quality time, just me and Bex. And I really love ending the day that way before putting him to bed. And so normally around eight o'clock is the time when I've finished doing the cleaning and the tidying. And usually by about eight o'clock, I'm sitting on the couch in the living room waiting for Amy to come down the stairs 
uh, from putting Beckett down to sleep. And so now we want to talk about how do we end our night kind of from 8 p.m. until we go to bed. What does that look like now? We're not going to share all the things that happen after 8 p.m. because this is family friendly programming. Oh, my gosh. But we'll share most of what happens. Okay, yeah. So when I come down the stairs, Jordan is typically already on the couch in the living room. And so I normally join him there. And one of the crazy stats I read in 168 Hours by Laura Vanderkam is she says that dual income couples on average say they could only find 12 minutes a day to talk to each other. 12 minutes a day. And that just like blew my mind. We just talked to each other for a lot more than 12 minutes. (laughs) Yes, that's true. (laughs) This podcast alone, I think, just like crushes. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you're thinking, wait, I'm talking with Amy and Jordan more than my spouse. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) But when we started to do the math on that, that meant like the average husband and wife out of the 1400 minutes they get during the day, if they're only talking for 12, that's less than 1% of the day that they're talking to each other, like 0.01%. And I think we talk a lot about, um, you know, we love Dave Ramsey. And one of the things that he says all the time is, you know, you don't want to be normal because normal is broke. And of course, he's talking about money, like literally broke, like literally not having money. But we always think about that in so many different areas of our life that normal is broke in a lot of areas when it comes to communication, relationship building, that normal is broke, that if that's the norm, we do not want to be the norm because we also hear how normal the divorce rates are, for example, and our marriage is a giant priority in our life. And so we never want to let a day slip away where we're not looking into each other's eyes and have having real conversation together. And we really feel like we should be able to get more than 12 minutes in with one of our biggest priorities in our life every day. Yeah. And I can remember earlier on in our marriage when we lived in our condo, uh, this was before we were self-employed, before we were working together at home all day. Um, We were teaching elementary school, but then in the afternoons, I was driving across town to coach youth soccer while Amy was at home working on our photography business. And so, and after a long day, when I walked through the door and the first thing I did was turn on the TV the message that I was communicating to my wife is the way that, that the sports star on SportsCenter cares or feels about his new contract or the way that some politician cares about the scandal that he's currently embroiled in was more important than the way that my wife was feeling about her day or or our life. And that just wasn't okay with me. It didn't sit well with me. And so for any husbands who are out there listening, like I get man time, I get cave time. Like I totally understand that. But something that I would really challenge you on is what is the trigger when you first walk in the door? What's the habit that you've developed that demonstrates to your wife and your kids, what is your priority? And this was something that I ultimately had to kind of wrestle with and come to terms with. And that's what actually led us to cut cable in our home. Back when we lived in our condo, we actually decided to cut cable because it was just too much of a distraction for for me and I was prioritizing the TV and what was happening outside the world, you know, more than I was what was happening, you know, in our world. And so... And what we found from that is it eliminated a lot of that like mindless TV and made TV an intentional choice. So instead of we cut cable and then subscribe to like a Netflix, Hulu model where we would have to go not only turn on a device, but then also choose what we were going to watch and just eliminating because I think with cable, it's so easy to just press one button and boom, something is distracting you. Something is immediately taking your attention. And when we think about couples only talking to each other for 12 minutes a day, I really don't believe any couple intends to not 
talk to their spouse. I think it's just, we've talked about a lot in the last episode, the way that we slip into habits. And once habits are formed, it's like our brain is making this passive subconscious decision on autopilot. And we're not even aware. We're just kind of slipping into a routine instead of think, like asking ourselves like, oh, is this actually the most important thing to me right now? Am I actually living out my values and my priorities? And so when Jordan and I were having a conversation about moving into our house, the house that we're living in, now, we had a, a pretty big conversation and decided that we weren't going to put a TV in our living room. And I know that sounds kind of like dramatic and crazy in a way, but we were really like, you know what? We want our living room to be a place for conversation and relationship building. Let's just eliminate the temptation. It doesn't mean we don't have a TV in our house. We do have one TV upstairs and we, of course, can access Netflix on a computer or something like that. But we just wanted our living room to be almost like a reflection, a personal statement of relationship building is the number one most important thing that will happen in this room. Yeah. And ever since we moved into our new home, the number of great conversations that Amy and I have had, not just at eight o'clock every night when Beckett goes to sleep, but just the number of great relationship conversations that we've had with each other and with others who who come into our home. Um, it's been something that we've been in our home for three years now and not a single day have we missed. Well, maybe a couple days. But most days we don't miss not having the TV there. And so especially to the guys, I just want to speak to the husbands for a second. If you guys are out there and you're listening right now and you're kind of maybe in a season of your marriage where you're like, man, like my marriage is tough right now. Um, I, I want to make my marriage better. I want to improve my marriage. Or you're somebody who your marriage is okay. It's pretty good. But you want to take your marriage to the next level. I can't think of any better, more grand gesture than your wife comes home one day from an errand or from the gym or the grocery store or whatever, and there's a big hole in your wall <laughs> because you took your TV out of your living room or you took your gaming system out of your living room or you took whatever it was out of your living room. And she goes, whoa, wait a second. What? Why is the TV missing? And you say, you know what? I decided to put it in the garage for 30 days so that we could use this time and this space for intentional relationship building. I want to get to know you better. I want to know you better than I know the sports star. I want to know you better than I know the politician, right? I want to know the stats and statistics about you and what makes your, 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 your soul tick and your heart tick. And I care about that more than I care about that stuff. And I don't even want to have a temptation that I could possibly slip into and drift into this bad habit. I want my habit to be you. And I think that when, as guys, that might sound extreme, but you know, Thomas Jefferson said, if you want something you've never had, you have to do something that you've never done. And I would challenge any of the husbands out there who are in a season of their marriage that they're looking to improve their marriage and take it to the next level. You take that TV out of your living room. You take that gaming system out of your living room. You make an intentional decision not to turn that, those devices on when you get home from work at the end of the day. You make a decision not to turn those devices on when your kids have gone to bed and it's just you and your wife life and your world will be rocked. I mean, if we think about this idea, one of the most common questions that we got from listeners is they wanted us to talk about intimacy. They wanted us to talk about physical intimacy and marriage. Let me tell you something right now, guys. Physical intimacy and marriage doesn't start in the bedroom. It starts in the living room. It starts in the kitchen. It starts by getting to know the heart and soul and mind of your wife. And when you do that and you prioritize her over random people on TV that you're never going to meet, who you'll never think about on your deathbed, that is when your marriage will spark and really come alive. And I know that might sound extreme and it might sound like a lot, but I can tell you from personal experience as a guy who used to prioritize the TV over my wife late at night, 
our marriage has been revolutionized by us getting that TV out of the living room and instead focusing on each other. Oof, we didn't have to keep recording. I'm just kidding. Yeah. But, See what I'm saying, guys? Seriously, it's true. What he's saying is so true. Um, so that is a really great time that we set aside for us to talk. Um, any dinner conversation that we didn't finish, we get to finish during that time, share our thoughts on the day, things we learned, things that are on our mind. And then we typically make the decision to go into our room together. It's really rare that one of us will go in without the other. And that's something that we've worked on too, because at the beginning of our marriage, we didn't always necessarily um, have the exact same amount of uh, time that we wanted to go to bed or, you know, we weren't like both night owls or both morning people. But over time, we've learned how to kind of blend together so that we're able to spend all that time together together. Yeah. And well, yeah. And what Amy's saying too, is that when we talk about like habit triggers, one of the habit triggers that we put into place is once we sit on the couch from like eight to eight 30 and we have that kind of us time where we're just talking about our day, detoxing from our day, it kind of gives me an opportunity to get everything out that I wanted to get out, you know, clarify things that maybe I was thinking about during the day or struggling with Amy, same thing. Typically we kind of say, one of us looks at each other and says, okay, ready to like, ready to head into bed. And we're like, yeah. And at that time we'll go like fill up a glass of water, right? Like we turn off all the lights in the kitchen and the living room and the rest of the house because that's a habit trigger for us that it's time to start winding down um, for bed. And so um, we typically head into bed about 1130, about 830, 1130. That's the oldest, 830. And like Jordan said, we're not going to talk about everything that happens in that bedroom, but we are going to talk about (laughs) a few of the other things. I mean, we have a couple kids, you know. Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, turning red again. Who knew something like this topic gets to be read so many times. Okay. So the two things that we're, we want to talk about is one, um, reading. This is typically, uh, the only time that we have, aside from my own little time in the afternoon, this is really the only time we have to read if we want to read during the week. Um, because now you've been walking through our whole schedule, there's just not really another window to be able to do that. Pre-kids, we love to read first thing in the morning. Now that we have Bex, that's just not happening for us anymore. So we realize if we don't read at night, we're not going to read at all. And going back to that idea about um, I don't have time for reading, which is something we used to say, we realized we had to switch that and say, well, if I'm saying I don't have time to read, what I'm saying is reading is not a priority. And for us, reading is a big priority because we found that reading books spur on great conversation between us. A lot of our best ideas that we've implemented in our business and parenting and relationships have all come from really great books. You'll notice we're referencing books all the time. And so we have to build in that time to be able to get that great input. Um, On the weekends, we'll sneak in some reading during Beckett's nap time now. Um, but during the week, it's really our only time to do that. So we're typically reading different books. Like I said, we, we'd like to choose ones on things like business, productivity, relationships. We both have highlighters on our nightstands. We highlight as we go. We're talking as we read. So there is a relational component there as well. Um, and we'll, we'll actually link to a list of books that we've read and loved on, on the show notes if you're interested in that reading list. Um, and recently, I got to read a book where I didn't need a highlighter, meaning I finally read a fiction book again. It's been a long time, maybe a couple years since I've read just a good novel. And I finally picked one up and remembered how much I loved reading fiction. Before we had kids, I did that quite a bit. And then after, not so much. Um, But I'm realizing, oh, this is so worth it too. It kind of feels like, like soul food, reading a novel and being able to read without a highlighter. 
So one of the things that we've mentioned once before is an idea from a, a friend of ours that even though it seems like most of the value comes from books that are on topic-specific things like productivity, finance, marriage, relationships, and we love books like that, that we found that fiction books help create a new sense of empathy inside of us because it puts us in positions and inside of the minds of characters that are going through things that we've never been through ourselves. So we really do value both fiction and nonfiction, although we both tend to lean to nonfiction books. Yeah. And so again, talking about that kind of 8.30 to 9.30 hour when we we some nights we just read the whole hour, right? Some nights we 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 do a little bit of reading and then we watch a show together. Some nights we just watch a show together, but we have that eight thirty to nine thirty hour kind of set aside just for leisure, for relaxing, um, and that kind of stuff. And so when we do watch TV, it's typically on a laptop in our bed. We don't um, have a TV in, in our, our bedroom, bedroom, but we do sneak the laptop into bed sometimes to read. I mean, to watch shows that we really love. Yeah, and typically we try to choose something that we both enjoy and that we're both engaged in. So it's not like Amy watching something while I'm watching something else. We try to find something that we both mutually enjoy. And usually those are TV shows that promote conversation. So we're typically like a doc. We usually go to documentaries first. We're watching a fantastic documentary right now on Netflix uh, about Bill Gates and Bill Gates kind of a quest to use his foundation to solve a lot of different crises in the world, including um, eliminating uh, polio worldwide. And it's just fascinating. And it's given Amy and I a chance to lay in bed at night for half an hour or an hour and watch something that's interesting uh, and it's educational and it's informational. And it also promotes conversation uh, between us as a married couple. So there are a lot of good components to that. Um, we also like Shark Tank because there's a business component to that. Yes. Um, we like shows we love like- to always talk about like, oh, how we would do the pitch different or like if we would take the deal or if it's a good deal or like if we would buy the product ourselves and it just promotes really good conversation there. Um, we also love some really great like scripted shows. We've talked about before how much we love Parenthood, uh, The Crown, This Is Us. We love those like historical period pieces like Downton Abbey. Uh, so just it took us a while to find shows that we really like together. And there's it's really it's really pretty tricky. Honestly, I, we're both pretty picky. I'd say Jordan is the pickiest. Um, and so when we find something that we like and enjoy, it's just like a great we look at the TV time as something that we're doing together that's a relationship builder and not just like a mindless activity. Yeah, but typically what we're always kind of trying to do, and this might this might sound a little bit weird or nerdy, um, and like Amy and Jordan, why can't you guys just relax? Just um, but like, you know, when we're watching a show like Parenthood, one of the things that we love to do while we're watching it is A, just enjoy it because it's funny and it's heartwarming and we love the characters, Zeke especially, and mm-hmm. Amber later in the series. Um <laughs> But we love just to watch the different family dynamics and analyze the way that the parent, the the husband and wives are interacting with each other and the way that they're interacting with their kids. And like, ooh, I think the reason why the kid freaked out there is because they didn't set an expectation 20 minutes before, which of course is good TV. But it does give us yes. an opportunity to talk about our marriage philosophies, our parenting philosophies. And also to decide like, are you team, Ju- team Julia or team Joel? Team Joel all day. <laughs> We're both team Joel. So now let's kind of move into like, so now it's 9.30. We're getting close. Um, And so from from 9.30 until about, our goal is to kind of be asleep by 10 o'clock most nights. And so from 9.30 to 10, that's the time where we might like jump up, like brush our teeth, like kind of do that kind of like final getting ready stuff. And then I just want to talk for a second about the way that Amy and I both fall asleep because something that I just like never really occurred to me until we got married, um, which it should have, is that we grew up in really different homes where our nighttime routine were really different. And so in Amy's home, like she grew up in a house where there were there were no TVs in the bedrooms. Um, and when it was bedtime, like Amy would go into her room, 
<laughs> close the door, turn off the lights, crawl into bed and fall asleep. And she literally developed this skill over, over, over many, many years of just being able to fall asleep. And I know that sounds maybe like crazy. Uh, like it, it sounded crazy to me because I was like, wait, what? You can just fall asleep. But for me, it's a gift. It really. is a gift. It's, it's a, a sleep gift. gift. Um, but I grew up in a different home. I grew up in a home where we had three teenage boys all within about five or six years of each other. And we had a big U shaped couch in our living room. And my mom, God bless her. She allowed all three of us on a lot of nights to fall asleep on the couch to sports center. And man, that was the best adolescence you could ever ask for, right? For a teenage boy. But something I realized um, as I got older was that it was really hard for me to fall asleep without TV. And if you're someone who's always fallen asleep, like I get my best sleep in hotel rooms where it's super dark and we can turn the TV on and I'm out in like two minutes. Um, but as I got older and as we got, as we were married, it was really hard for me to, to fall asleep. And I found myself a lot of times um, staying up at night. I was anxious. Like we just turned the lights off and tried to go to bed. I was anxious. My thoughts would kind of run uh, wild a little bit. And and um, I would have a little bit of insomnia. And I tried a lot of different things from like, you know, sleeping pills to I mean, every nighttime routine that you could possibly imagine. Um, and none of them really worked well for me. And so one of the things that I realized, you know, for Amy, when she falls asleep, she just closes her eyes and starts her prayer, her mental prayer list in her head, or starts, you know, thanking God for all the things that he's given her and just kind of doing a gratitude list. And she's out like a light. Um, but for me, I just had this impossible time and 15 minutes would turn into 30 and would turn into an hour and two hours and three hours and four hours. And I was finding myself up really, really late at night, having a really hard time falling asleep. And so couple of things I just want to say to anyone out there who has trouble kind of like closing the deal, so to speak, and falling asleep at night. Number one, everything that we've talked about in, in this episode and the episode before, um, all these practices that we put into place of getting off devices, of getting on, on a schedule and a routine, of, of having priorities of, of people and things that we're putting first that are most important to us, going on that morning walk where I can vent a lot of the things that I'm feeling, having that time after dinner where we sit and we talk and I can share the things that I'm thinking and feeling and they're on my heart. Those things have contributed greatly to me being peaceful and calm and being able to fall asleep at night. But something else that I realized about myself that I just don't know if I'll ever shake is that I need noise and sound. I need to hear people talking in order for me to fall asleep because that was my childhood experience. It's kind of like in uh, the show Boy Meets World, which is one of my favorite shows growing oh, up. I loved Boy Meets World. Oh, it's the best, right? <laughs> and uh, all of our be the best shows take place in Philadelphia. It's like Boy Meets World, uh, uh, Will, oh, Fresh, Fresh Prince, Prince yes. Philadelphia. But I guess it's in LA, but he was Philadelphia oh, born and yeah. raised. Close enough. Um, but anyways, there's this uh, great episode where Sean moves into Corey's house. They're teenage boys. Moves into Corey's house for a period of time. And the first night that they're sharing a bedroom together, uh, all of a sudden when Sean turns the lights out, he turns on his stereo and all of a sudden it starts, you start hearing like, like shotguns go off and you start hearing people screaming at each other. It's kind of like they used to have those cassette tapes. I remember from when I was a kid at Target, it'd be like sounds of nature and he, his were like sounds of the trailer park, yeah. right? Cause that's where he lived. That's where he lived and grew up in a, in a trailer park. And so those sounds of the trailer park, it's what's familiar to him and it helped him sleep. Of course, it's horrifying to Corey. <laughs> it was like people um, yelling and doors slamming and yeah. like bottles clinging. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I don't listen to sounds of the trailer park falling asleep. But what I realized is that I needed at night, I needed something interesting, interesting to listen to that was pretty dry. So I wouldn't be too interested that I would stay awake. <laughs> and so something I, I did is I bought a pair of AirPods and I've got a, a set of AirPods now and I pop my AirPods in at 930 and I turn on something really boring. Like I turn on an audible book about some like political or historical thing that's that's kind of dry. Sometimes I, I know this sounds super dorky, but I'm an eight week 
Duke Law School dropout, so I've always maintained an interest. I'll turn on the Supreme Court oral arguments and listen to attorneys argue before the Supreme Court. (laughs) Um, Sometimes I'll go on YouTube and I'll find a college lecture from Stanford or from Harvard about some interesting topic. And usually within five to 15 minutes, I am clonked completely out because I'm listening to something that helps me kind of ease into sleep. And I would then, say nowadays you've been falling asleep almost faster than me. It's pretty amazing. That. <laughs> We've uh, come a long way. And just one quick point is that I use this is a really small thing, but I think it might help some people out there. I used to have regular uh, headphones that I would put in that were like attached to like a cord. But the problem with those headphones is that as I would fall asleep at night and I kind of pull them out of my ears, the it wouldn't stop playing. So yeah, some, get kind of like tangled, and I would get tangled in the cords. <laughs> and so I would wake up at like two in the morning. And I would hear this lecture still going on YouTube or this Audible book still playing because I hadn't turned it off. And the AirPods have this magic capability (laughs) that when you kind of take them out of your ears, it stops your phone from whatever it's playing. So a lot of nights now, after five or 10 minutes of listening to something, as I can feel myself falling asleep, I can just pull the AirPods out of my ears or I can fall asleep with the AirPods in my ears and they just kind of fall out during the night and I don't even realize it till the next morning. So most mornings- This episode is not sponsored by Apple. No, no. But <laughs> what's become a funny habit is that when we bring Beckett into our bed in the mornings, he said AirPod, like AirPod, AirPod, was one of his earliest words because every morning he would go into the sheets and try to find my AirPods from the night before. It became like a little treasure hunt (laughs) for him. It was so fun. So that's it. That's really the whole thing from start to finish, episode nine, episode 10, the whole shebang, how we try to intentionally as best as we can start our day right and end our day right so that we can live a life that feels fulfilling and purposeful. So we just want to send you off with some takeaways for this particular episode. So our first takeaway is to create an afternoon and evening schedule that works for you. Our schedule is not going to work for you. Our schedule is not even going to work for us soon. So create an intentional schedule that works for you and your family based on what's going on in your own life. And then two, give yourself some grace when something comes up that gets you off track because that happens to us too. You know, we've got maybe like Beckett gets sick or, you know, you've got sick kids or someone stops you, you're out at your gym and someone stops you to chat and it throws off the schedule or you get a flat tire or there's unexpected traffic or whatever. Life is going to happen, right? So give yourself grace when something goes a little bit off track. But when something gets off track, don't let one thing ruin or distract you from your entire day. It's We really feel like we've got to be flexible to adapt our schedule. And especially as our seasons of life change, we're just going to have to make those adjustments over time. So the, the biggest takeaway is we can always ask ourselves these two important questions. What kind of person am I? What kind of person do I want to be? And once we have the answers to those questions, then we can ask ourselves, does my schedule reflect my values and priorities? Thank you for listening to Life with Amy and Jordan. If this episode was helpful to you, we'd love for you to leave us a review. And if it wasn't, please don't. Seriously, a review from you will help us reach more awesome people like you. To get the newest episode as soon as it's available, hit the subscribe button.